Welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabel Graham. So welcome to this episode of The Being Leader, the podcast that discusses how we need to show up and be as leaders, reflecting on what impacts our behaviours, our relationships and our outcomes, and allows us to focus more on our approach to leading ourselves, our teams and our organisations. Today I'm joined by Claire Bradshaw. Claire is an executive coach and facilitator with over 20 years experience as a senior manager working within a range of complex organisations, including the NHS, local government and the voluntary sector. She's passionate about making a positive and sustainable difference for individuals, communities and organisations. For the last five years, she's worked as a qualified executive coach across a range of complex organisational settings. She lives in the Northwest and pulls on her background in neuro-linguistic programming, systemic coaching, and also the outdoors for her coaching practice, working with clients and coaches to bring the outdoors into their work. She also has a podcast called The Outdoor Coach, which brings together in a unique and accessible way the art of coaching, mindfulness, and the restorative effect of the outdoors. Claire, welcome. Thank you for having me, Annabelle. So tell me, tell everyone a little bit more about what you do and how you got into coaching and what your journey is to where we are now. Okay. So, um, yeah, as you say, I've been a coach for a little while now, a bit longer than, than five years. I think I've been saying five years for at least two or three. <laughs> yeah. I think I've been saying about six or seven and it's bucket loads more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been coaching for a good while now and I got into coaching when I worked in the NHS actually and I'd gone back into work after a period of maternity leave thinking about what I was going to do next and I became a mentor so in the NHS at the time there was a mentoring program and I became a mentor as part of that and went on some training how to be a mentor and I think I recognized that probably I'm a bit coachy in my style so at the time I was leading <laughs> and a team and I realised um, that that was kind of my approach to life, really. So my curiosity was piqued. I loved that work and was fortunate enough, as I worked in organisational learning and development setting, for my organisation to support me to do some coach training. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where the, the coaching comes from, really. Um, and this kind of high questioning um, personality that I seem to have if you do any of the personality tests high questioning that's me so it kind of lends itself um I guess and I've been self-employed um for the last six years as a coach facilitator um trainer um and as you pointed out yeah I worked in the NHS for 12 years before that um and before that worked in the voluntary sector so when they were building what at the time was the Commonwealth Games stadium okay. did some development work um in the communities around there and before that i worked in local government so my proper background my my initial training if you like was as a librarian <laughs> so when you had a proper job which when was i had a proper job <laughs> people sometimes say to me, so how do you go from being a librarian to doing what you do now and actually there there are loads of loads of similarities you know working in libraries and community libraries in health libraries is about developing people it's about being open it's about building communities and spaces and um and also there's a, a degree of teaching and learning in in that as well so if you take um somebody's journey into a library they might come in they might ask you for something and then you listen really well to what they're saying 
and maybe ask a question or two. And so often, you know, you'd work out that the thing that they came in for was not perhaps the thing that was going to help them most. And then you'd support them to be independent then in finding what they needed. And you, you can see where the similarities Absolutely. are yeah. um, in that. Um, and yeah, as you say, I live in the Northwest, so right, right on the edge of the East Midlands in the Northwest. Nice. So you, the Peak District's right on my doorstep. I know it well. The Lake District's up the road. Mm -hmm. I went to university. I did my undergraduate degree in um, Lancaster, which is obviously yeah, yeah. very rural. And my master's in Sheffield in the Peak District. So that kind of outdoors stuff, I think, is, is embedded geographically. Mm -hmm. um, in where I work as well and now has become part of how I work. So how did you bring it, that element into the coaching? What sort of made that shift? Um, I, think, I think some of it was quite personal. I think I started to recognise in myself that actually, so the decisions that I was making around becoming self-employed, for example, decisions about um, family and moving house and stuff all used to take place on a walk somewhere you know and for me they used to take place you know somewhere high with a big vista you know <laughs> up, up a hill <laughs> yeah up a hill up a hill is my kind of go-to place for yeah. thinking about stuff reflecting and making decisions yeah. um and I started to just notice that um I think and I also started to work with lots of um, very senior, very clever people um, who, um, who sometimes were quite stuck in their own thinking. So very, very cerebral, very cognitively based, cognitively biased um, people. And I wondered about what would it be like then if these people with these kind of very high level roles were to step outside into my high up space on the top of a hill to do their thinking. Um, so started to do a bit of reading around it. Um, there's actually very little written about coaching and the outdoors, more about therapy and, yeah. and, and outdoors and the huge benefits of that. But you, it doesn't take too much ingenuity to kind of see the crossover. Um, in those so yeah started started working in that way and the, the feedback from the people the clients that I've worked with um, outside has just been wonderful so carried on I guess Excellent. Yeah. And, I, and I totally recognize that when you know when you said all of that reflection and decisions and um, having been a dog, dog owner now for going on 15 years um, yeah. and I've got two who need plenty walking but the old one god love him on many an afternoon when I was completely stuck, I, you know, in the middle of designing something or thinking about what I had to do next, would have a lead popped around his neck. Out we went. Yeah. Because an hour later, I'd usually have a skeleton of a plan. And, and I, there's not a lot of hills in Bedfordshire, unfortunately. So it's <laughs> mostly in woods. Yeah. I, I, like yeah. A good, I like a good wood. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, plus it keeps you slightly dry if it's chucking it down. Um, but, you know, that ability just to use and change pace, you know, and in some ways use that landscape to bring into what you're thinking about and 
it's a it's a very reflective way of bringing it out so I entirely understand that yeah absolutely and it, um, you know what you were saying about you know you might sit down to write a plan and then you go out for a walk so there's some real um fairly robust evidence about what's going on then so when we do that when we step out into nature mm-hmm. the level of our focus shifts so you know if you have ever sat down and gone right I need to get this piece of work done now and you sat there with a, a blank screen or a blank sheet of paper and try to force the idea <laughs> it, you know they're less forthcoming often than if you are out on a walk or in the woods or and there's something about soft fascination. So there's um, this idea of attention restoration therapy or soft fascination. And um, it's kind of where we've, we're paying attention with less effort. So effortless attention um, in that space. And because there's less effort, it allows our mind to wander a little bit and to be creative and maybe make some connections. And it leaves that space for us to be reflective and be creative, which is really different to, you know, being super focused, hyper focused, um, if you like, on a particular thing. So, so something really powerful about the effects of the outdoors around attention. Um, and I think some of the research around that has been done with um, people with ADHD um, and things and noticing that actually attention is, can be greater and different when outside than when indoors. I love that term, soft fascination. <laughs> it's not one I've heard before, but, you know, that that idea that we're, we're looking at it and we're thinking about it, but we're holding it quite lightly. Yeah you know and and what comes comes yeah yeah nice i like that so how do you find it changes you know because obviously you've coached before you brought the outdoors into it mm. what's the how do you find it's different when you're in those two environments from it you know maybe that traditional view of when we're working with clients which is you're in a meeting room which is invariably you know they're never pretty they're gray with no windows Yes. And usually two mismatched chairs and a desk and a dodgy whiteboard that's still got the last meeting's information written on it. If, if they're anything yeah. like the ones I end up in. <laughs> very familiar. <laughs> what is it about that? Why can't people empty the whiteboards? Um, but, you know, what's the difference with that for how, for your, from your perspective? And then we'll talk maybe a little bit about what impact it is for the clients as well. Yeah, okay. So from a coach's you've just reminded me actually speaking about those um those whiteboards that when I became self-employed I've done plenty of training in rooms with no windows with you know you can see the pipes on the ceiling and the lights don't work and you know really not not glamorous is it (laughs) and I did say to myself when I am self-employed I'm going to create opportunities to work in brilliant spaces um and of course, the outdoors is, is one of those. Um, so, yeah, perhaps I, there was a bit of an unconscious driver around that as well. Um, so so from, from a coaching point of view, I think perhaps one of the most fundamental differences. So if you take yourself to that room that you've just described, quite often you, if you're sat, there's a, there might be a table, but you might be sat at 90 degrees to each other or almost opposite. You know, th- that's the kind of arrangement and when you're outside 
of course, is an opportunity to walk alongside your client. So from a coaching point of view, that's quite interesting um, because the way that you're creating and building and maintaining rapport with your client is different. There's something very powerfully metaphoric about walking alongside actually with your client that I think is mirrored very much in the relationship um, that that client and coach have. Um, I think there's something about intensity and time. You know, you can almost see if I, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a first coaching session outside with a client. You know, it's very much part of the contracting that, that, that it's right for them, that they're happy to do that. And, you know, I could go on for ages about suitability of spaces, you know, different spaces bringing different things. So once we've contracted for it, if I meet a client indoors, and then we step outside, you can almost see the difference um, somatically in the client as they step from one kind of space, their workspace, you know, they've got their work persona and their work way of being into an outside space, whether that's in nature or whether actually that's into a car park or wherever it happens to be. And you can see people's shoulders lower you can see people breathe, you know, they'll often take in a big deep breath and sigh something out, you know, relax. And, you know, your podcasts are all very much about the, you know, being leader. And you can just see that in that moment of, of transitioning from inside to outside um, for them. So as the coach, which was a question you asked me, I've got sidetracked. So as the coach, what you're doing for them is, holding a space to enable them to do that, you know, with a degree of psychological safety um, and, and for them to tap into whatever that's then going to offer them. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, the, the two things that you picked up that you said, you know, it's that intensity and it's the change of environment. Um, because I often find, I know, especially because I've, I've used walking coaching for, not with everybody, it's not, the core of what I do, but I, I have some clients who adore it and it's every session from initial all the way through because that is their preference. Um, and then others will use it every now and again, but actually that, that room setup you set up is probably the most confrontational way you could ever meet a person. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's traditionally how we do it. And it's exactly the same in therapy. Except that's even worse. You know, you just get a soft chair or a hard chair, but it, it's actually, the intense eye contact for some people, especially if they're, and I would say, you know, we, we both know from working with leaders, we go, you know, you go into organizations and in theory, you're going to talk about organizational challenges and problems, but actually, you know, we, we bring our whole self to work and you guarantee that what it presents as of, uh, you know, my teams are paying in the backside. Um, I don't get on with my boss. All of this stuff ends up there's something else underneath yeah. it. So we talk about, you know, emotion and how we feel and all of that. And actually that's a really confrontational way to have that conversation in a really small space in an office with, office with no windows, which you can't yeah, look out of. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's so less intimidating when you're stood side by side because I don't have to make eye contact mm. with you. I don't have to look at you, you know, and they can, you can sort of exist in your own space. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much in the client's court then. Her 
I don't want to do that. A few people that I've talked to about this have likened who've got teenagers liken it to having those conversations with teenagers in the car. Because and they find it easy to have that conversation in the car because they're not looking at each other. And and I think there's also something really powerful in both of those scenarios, the car scenario and the walking alongside scenario that's about movement, you know, about moving forward rather than being still um, that adds some momentum um, to the experience um so yeah I, and i'm wondering if you find that with the walk-in coaching i do so the the momentum bit that and the thing that when you described you know when people come they often go oh. what i often get is and i i know i use pace a lot mm. so i usually find if we're going out and and this is when you you sort of have to contract up and go well a you've got to have some decent shoes <laughs> you better bring a jacket because it could be and i'm i'll walk in whatever weather you know i'm a dog walker a jacket for every occasion so i don't care it can be hoofing hoofing a gale i'll be in wellies and a woolly hat i really don't care um you know my brain's still the same irrespective of where i am but they're usually walking exceedingly fast and talking exceedingly fast yeah um so even if there isn't a physical shift vocally you can listen to this and it's all coming out so actually what what you're hearing is the pace of the stress and the busyness and everything that's going on in the organization. And I, and they're usually walking at the same speed. So they go off charging. And I find I usually slow the pace down. Mm -hmm. So I deliberately just hold back and I slow how I talk and I slow how I walk mm -hmm. and people fall into step with you when you're walking side by side, because they think it's a bit odd if they don't. Mm -hmm. So actually what you do is you slow, I can use it to slow their thought processes down. Yeah, it's, it's powerful, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's really interesting from that point of view. And I think it's interesting, even just offering that out to your client, I've noticed that we're walking really fast and I'm wondering what's going on around that for you. And you know, look, am I? <laughs> oh yeah, so I am. So there's something about raising awareness at quite a fundamental level with people you know what's going on as you say in their in their heads is reflected in the pace and um brilliant that you can you know slow that slow that down bring some consideration um for them mm. so the benefit to the client if you think about who you work with and what they get from it talk to me a little bit more about that yeah okay so I, th I think you just said it before Annabelle you know about you bring your whole self to work and um if you're working with people who operate in a very cognitive way that's kind of you know that's the hat that you put on isn't it when you walk into the building or when you open the laptop to do work stuff you're kind of wearing your um I'm employed to think kind of hat um, and make decisions but actually we bring all of us um, into work and yet so that we're almost missing a massive resource from the whole person so being outside kind of gets people out of their heads a bit because sometimes that's the reason that they might be stuck. You know, a lot of the time people come to coaching, don't they? Because they've been thinking about something for ages and they can't move. They're stuck with something. And actually, you know, just a change of 
different kind of space can help um, with the stuckness. And I think there's something very powerful. So I mentioned about shoulders and breathing and things when you step outside. So there's something very um, sensory about being outside. So we're paying attention not only cognitively, but we're perhaps unconsciously, we might notice the temperature or the breeze or the smell of food drifting um, through or the sound of the leaves. We are, we are resensitized to what's going on physically. And I think that really brings about a shift in people's whole awareness. So not they're out of their heads then and suddenly they're in a, a bit more of themselves, their, their felt sense as well as their, um, in their heads. Um, so yeah, resensitized. And I think there's also something really important about perspective um, as well. So going back to your room that, you know, the four walls with no windows, um, you know, if you wanted to think differently about something, anything, a work issue, how I am as a leader, four walls and no windows, it doesn't massively lend itself to adopting other perspectives. I remember um, having a coaching conversation with somebody, a career coaching um, conversation, and they, they, this was on the phone, so they, in lockdown, so they were, um, we were having this conversation, they were in their park space, I was in my garden, and um, yeah, they sat <laughs> underneath a tree, and they, they, they sent me the um, kind of WhatsApp link to this, and they were looking up, up the tree, and that was the metaphor for them. I, you know, I don't want to be the top of the tree, career-wise, you know, and you wonder whether that same thinking would have taken place had they been, you know, in a work type environment yeah so i think it's really interesting that that metaphor you just described of sitting up a tree um because do you find that comes out in that outdoors environment a lot more than it would be if you were sat indoors yes i think yeah it, and it's a really powerful part of it because you know there's this idea isn't there that that metaphors are actually an expression of our unconscious you know, we're tapping into what's going on under the surface. So, you know, when we're in an office environment, we might be speaking office language, you know, the, like, the culture of the organisation is, is very embedded in how somebody shows up um, in those conversations. And as soon as you can start using metaphor and accessing metaphor in the coaching, which, you know, does pop up a lot more outdoors, I think, then you're getting below that. Um, getting below that surface and they're you know they're in everyday language aren't they you know I was thinking about this um, recently and thinking of things you know between a rock and a hard place um, you know or um, whether people are in flow or even the idea of being on a journey you know you're kind of you're living the metaphor walking um, and and coaching so um, I, I was um, doing some coaching with one client, um, a leader, and she was talking about a relationship that she had at work where the communication was um, 
less than ideal. So the thing that she was bringing was there was this relationship and, and particularly the communication aspect of it. And as we were moving through the, the outdoor space, she noticed um, an area that was full of brambles and nettles and, um, and things. And she's, it's like that, you know, the, the communication feels like I have to wade through that kind of space. And we talked, okay, so it's like, it's like that. Tell me a bit more about what this communication is like. And she, she continued to use that space in being able to access how it felt, her trepidation, all of that kind of stuff. And then, then I invited her to move perspectives and to look at the brambles and the nettles from somewhere else. And um, as she moved to look at them from somewhere different, there was a bit of a, oh, Actually, I don't have to go. There's a way round. You know, there is a way round this. And here's me with my machete trying to cut through all of this stuff. And actually, if I just did this, then I can see over there and I can I can get through and actually I could take them with me as well. You know, and then we started to talk about, OK, so what does that look like uh, for you in work? But it was all triggered by her noticing this this space. Um, outside so yeah in answer to your question about metaphor absolutely <laughs> yeah, I think you can I, I, you talking about that, that Nettles, I, I was thinking of a, a session I had a just a few weeks ago I was with somebody and we were we actually met at their offices even though the offices weren't open um, but it's because it's next to a massive lake um, mm -hmm. and we sort of did a you know an area of the park and then did a big loop around the lake and as we came, we came across this complete section of Canada geese who were following the leader down, mm -hmm. down the section. And I, and I got triggered. I don't know if you've come across the, the, the whole lessons from geese thing. Yes, yes. Yes. So I, and I said to her, I said, there's a whole load of leadership lessons from geese. And she went, is that? And I, and I started to talk about how geese work and how they fly. Mm -hmm. And it actually just sort of, because it illustrated the conversation we were talking about for how the team were working. And it's that piece, I think, when you go, that's the one, the one thing you've got to be conscious of. And I think definitely um, if, we're, if we've got coaches listening and they're a little bit pure and haven't gone outside, you do get disturbed. You know, dogs <laughs> run up to you and say hi. People chat to you as they walk past. Yeah. Somebody, you'll get lost and you'll trip over something, you know. <laughs> do you know, and that's a really important, it's really important to recognise that, though, Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're contracting what are we going to do if we meet somebody that that we know how are we going to manage that um but also you're it's such a dynamic space you know things are changed the weather changes everything um potentially has that capacity to change within it and that in itself is is powerful but as the coach then you're holding what is a very dynamic um space and environment for somebody so your attention has to be you know really attuned to to what's going on and i find that there's perhaps more checking in yeah with the, the client in and outside i don't know if you find that when when you're walking you know just ensure are we okay you know is there anything we need to pay attention to here um do you need to put your coat on <laughs> you know <it's> real <laughs> <laughs> and it starts to rain but equally, um, and I sometimes think about, you know, that, that piece of when you get, you know, you see there's a, 
there's a cockapoo barreling towards you or something <laughs> random, which happens all of the time. And invariably, because I you know, smell vaguely of dog, um, it's going to come towards <laughs> me. Um, but actually, you know, I think sometimes as leaders in organisations, we feel we have to be a certain way and you have to wear this mask where you can't sort of things can't break down. And in some ways, by dropping that formality out and going, OK, so, yes, we're together. We are having this conversation. It's technically a piece of work. But we can, you know, be polite and say hello to that person as they walk past and deal with the, the bouncing animal that's come up because it doesn't know any better. It's just being in the moment. Um, it's all right sometimes to, to, in some ways, embody and role model that it's okay for you to be flexible and human at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's okay to be, to do that. You know, you can, which actually, and in some ways I think lockdown has, um, over the last few months really allowed that to happen because we've all probably been on calls with, um, small animals, Yes. being movie stars and children joining us yeah yeah and and going with it and allowing it yeah, yeah. and no one's bothered because it's just sort of well that's what's happening now <laughs> yeah there's more of an amalgamation isn't there it is more holistic you know we're seeing um people's homes you know people that we might have worked with for a very long time suddenly we're seeing another part of them another side of them and i think that definitely comes through outside as you say the sensible pair of shoes you know you can be working with very senior people who put a pair of walking boots on to come out with you and you know that they might not wear in a workplace you know there's something something important about that yeah i i have the receptionist in one of my client buildings because i've got one client who always walks that was requested at the point we started it's like I, i'm better when i'm walking to think okay that's what we do and yeah they i think she just thinks i'm scruffy because i'm always in i've always got a pair of jeans a smart a relatively smart jacket and a pair of trainers on yeah. <laughs> i think she's trying to work out what on earth this meeting is with this woman <laughs> who <pops> up. <laughs> maybe not looking quite as official as most people would normally do and then we go out with a raincoat on <laughs> um but never mind what do you find those that that conversation tends to unlock you know do you get do you access different parts of conversations when you're in that external environment internal or similar sort of stuff, but just in a different way? I think, I think what I find is people are quicker to emotion outdoors. Mm. Um, so if I were to ask somebody a question inside, particularly if, you know, feeling is not a preference that, you know, their first preference um, to go with that. They might dodge the question. They might um, answer a different kind of question, whether that's, you know, deliberately or otherwise. Um, and those kinds of questions, I think people respond to. Um, that those questions are more accessible to people outdoors. Um, and I think spatially uh, people are much much more aware of what's going on around them um outside so those conversations that may be around relationships or perspectives or you know you and i have both done some stuff around constellations and things you know though that kind of work i think can be really powerful outside the space um lends itself to that um 
And, and I think that's the difference. One of, one of the fundamental differences really is that you're enabling people to really tap into a different way of knowing things. So not only in their heads, but also in their bodies and emotionally as well. So we're coming back, aren't we, to that kind of holistic um, way of being. So we've been talking quite a lot about you know going outside going outside and, and nature and mine's usually in country parks and you've got plenty of hills and fields what if what if we haven't got that access because i know i'm i mean i'm doing a session i want to get some people outside because obviously it's it's quite key in in this current environment mm. but it's bang smack in the middle of a city center and that throws yeah. up an entirely different kettle of fish when you you're wandering down between buildings yes absolutely yeah the, the kind of concrete jungle kind of yeah. <laughs> well, I think in in my experience, it brings something different. Um, but actually, a lot of the benefits of, of being outdoors. So um, I don't know if you, have you heard of um, street wisdom as a methodology. It kind of aligns itself to what we've been talking about, really. And it's this idea that um, answers are everywhere. If we tune in to the environment that we're in. And that environment can be any environment. So it could be a green space, or actually it could be that city center that you were talking about there. Yeah. So street wisdom. Street wisdom is um, it's a social enterprise. You can Google it and, and find out more about it. And you, there's, um, there are lots of events around street wisdom going on at the end of September um, this year called the around the worldwide wonder. So, um, that might be interesting to see if there's something happening around you. Yeah. And the idea of street wisdom is that um, there are three parts to it. And the first part is tuning in. So it's this idea, as you were mentioning, you know, with your clients who, who show up and they go off really fast, you know, it's the slowing down. It's the paying attention. It's being mindful of where you are in the space that you are. So being really present in the space whatever that is, tuning in um, and noticing. And then the second part um, is the quest. So the quest is where you take a question. So it can be something that you've had kicking around in your head for a while or something that you know you've not been able to resolve, or it might be you know, something where, where will I go on holiday? Um, it needs to be meaningful to you. And you take that question into this space that you're now more aware of and actually find that there are answers in that space. And we talked about metaphor before. Um, the metaphors, of course, are everywhere too. So a friend of mine who um, introduced me to the idea of street wisdom talked, um, she was talking about a piece of work that somebody had offered to her and her her thoughts about this piece of work were, oh, it's, it's not very good. It's been cobbled together. Um, and she was unhappy with it. And she was wondering how she was going to manage this. And she did a, a street wisdom in a part of the Northwest and found herself um, in this quest part with this question around what am I going to do with this situation, wandering along a cobbled street. And um, I wonder if that was uh, purposeful or accidental. Yeah, yeah, you do wonder, don't you? <laughs> and it got her thinking, you know, she noticed the cobbles and um, she thought, well, actually, these have been here for a long time. 
you know, there is beauty in these, there's longevity here. Um, actually, if you want to take a car at speed along it, then that's probably not that comfortable. And, and she used that, the metaphor of those cobbles to really explore her thinking around that question that she'd taken into the space. And then the third part of street wisdom is a bit of um, a get together. So an exploration with other people um, who've had the, who've been doing the street wisdom at the same time um, of what's, what's happened, how was it? What learning might you take away from that? What have you discovered? Um, so it can be a really good activity um, that you can do by yourself. Um, you know, it's kind of self-coaching in a way. Um, it's a really good activity for teams. Um, so I've, I've done that in, um, with a team in Lancaster um, City Centre. Uh, you know, very, very grey um, space, but actually people really noticing stuff that, that they hadn't seen. So real connection with your sense of place um, and in relation to that place as well. And, you know, I think this is the benefit of us um, having conversations like this, because as you were talking, I have scribbled down that process because I, I equally like you. I've got um, I've got a team event in, in Bristol in a few weeks time, which we're hopefully going to do face to face. It's going to be one of the first ones. Um, and actually, do you know what? I, I was thinking about doing a, a walking activity, but that could be a really good way to get people sent off in pairs to see what they came up with and then pull everyone back together to have a little think at certain points. So that could be, so thank you for that. Thank you for, <laughs> for helping to redesign my workshop at the same time. I, I've got, I've got to pull that together after we finish. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> Quite genuinely giving me a brand new idea. Um, so obviously, you know, I'm conscious we've got lots of people listening who don't necessarily work with a coach, but actually, you know, may have, I think a lot of people re-engaged with getting outside into, you know, whether it be, whether it was nature, whether it was their local park, whether it was just their garden um, over the last few months that they wouldn't normally have had time to do as everything slowed down. Mm. If we're thinking about how we're working, you know, maybe with our teams who could be virtual yeah. um, or if we're maybe back in the office, how can we start bringing some of this in for ourselves as, you know, team members and leaders to really try and access some of this? What would you yeah. recommend? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been I've been running a lot of webinars around resilience and well-being and supporting others over lockdown and being outside comes up every single time. You know, people, I think, like you say, people have recognised that it's good for our well-being. Um, and that, you know, we talked about soft fascination, didn't we? That actually, in terms of our productivity, you know, if we stop trying so hard in a work-focused way and take ourselves outside, actually, um, the benefits are there to be, to be had. Um, we talked also in these um, webinars, we talked about encouraging team members to connect. So it might be a, a call on the phone, the good old fashioned telephone. Yeah, I know, weird those things, aren't they? Yeah, um, <laughs> but actually to agree to do that with both of you out for a walk. So, you know, to be in separate spaces, your own space outside, but actually, you know, nature or, or whatever your environment brings you together a lot and your 
Um, talking about work outside, so all of those things that we talked about in terms of thinking differently and bringing in other perspectives and things can come through um, in those conversations. And if you're a leader, you know, kind of wondering about how to take something forward or a decision or about how to approach something, then, you know, that really simple street wisdom process of tuning in and then taking your question outside uh, with you, maybe take a notebook and, and some time to kind of pause and reflect within that, um, I think can be a really advantageous way to approach things and one of the benefits, I guess, of, of working from home a bit more. Yeah, I think that's very much the case. I mean, I know I was talking with, um, I did three sessions yesterday talking around feedback, um, you know, and how to bring that into what a great one-to-one -one looks like um, with a whole load of leaders from an organisation. And, and I said, you know, because they were saying, oh, do you know, our meetings, they used to be in the office, and we'd always do one-to-one -one in there, or we do, now we're doing it over Teams. And I went, well, why don't you just go for a walk? Or either meet yeah. them and go for a walk. <laughs> Because then you get to see your live human and check in with them, which at this, you know at the moment bizarrely is a is a novelty. Um, but if not, as you said, on the phone, you know we we existed dealing with people in dispersed environments way before video calls existed. Strange that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and actually, you know, global. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, we were talking before, weren't we, about kind of global teams. So on the, um, I've run a, a programme about coaching outdoors. So to support um, coaches, if they want to take their coaching outside. And we, I did that virtually in lockdown. Um, and actually one of the amazing benefits that I hadn't really considered before that came out of that. So there was a moment where there was a coach in Wellington, New Zealand, um, and a coach um, in Upper Mill um, in the hills near to me having a, a coaching conversation in their relative outdoor spaces wow. with each other. Yeah, using WhatsApp and they took a photograph um, of that. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's a bringing together, I think, a unification perhaps that happens um, in an outdoor space that's that's yeah good for people so essentially it's just saying you know whether we're thinking about getting back to the office or not thinking about getting back to the office it doesn't mean you can't not get together and yeah you know as a as a walker and a dog walker um your your walking session is only um as good as your best jacket you know so dress up. <laughs> not difficult <laughs> As a woman who has a coat for every occasion, um, you know, just just turn up, put some comfy shoes on and bring something that can deal with a bit of weather. It's fine. It doesn't matter what it's doing. But actually that we can take our meetings outside. We can do them when we're on the phone. There's so many different ways to be able to explore it and see what it brings. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, look. Claire, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Being Leader. And to those of you who are listening, if you enjoyed this and found it useful, then please share it with your teams or, or send it to a friend or colleague who might find it useful too. Because we can only grow the listenership by you telling more people about it. And thank you to those of you who've listened into the episode so far. We've been talking today about, you know, that power of outdoors and reflection. And if that's something of interest, then 
by all means, listen back to some of the previous episodes, which we've got on reflection and also on resilience, which was out in September. So you'll be able to pick that one up as then if you want to explore other aspects of what we've touched on today. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 